Well, thanks, Oli. Thank you, worship team. Let's give the worship team a round of applause. Thank you, guys. Uh, does anyone have something that, I don't it's kind of hard to explain. Like the rest of the world thinks that it's normal or that they celebrate it and think that it's good, and you're like, I don't get it. <laughs> right? Like modern art, there's a banana stapled to a wall that sold for a million dollars, right? <laughs> like there's something there, but I, I, don't, I don't get it. Does anyone have something like that? You can, you can tell me. What, what is, is it there's something? Maybe you don't understand football. You're like, listen, it's that time of year. Everyone's like on Sunday. They're like, can we get out of church so we can go home and watch football? There are churches that plan their service times around when the football games are going to start. And you're like, I don't, I don't get it. Anybody else like that? I, I love football, so <laughs> you just broke my heart. So. Okay, I got 10 minutes left before the first game starts, so we got to get moving on this. Uh, that, that thing for me is, is the ballet. I mean, like, there, there are people that pay millions of dollars to go, and they, they watch these people in tights who's, who spin around and stand on their toes. And, like, you know, if my wife was ever like, you know, hey, I really want to go see this ballet, let's go. I mean, of course I would go, but the whole time I'd be like, what, what are we doing? Like what, like, what are we watching? Like, this is... This is interesting. Anybody else? Like, does anyone else? Like, am I the only one? You guys, like, love the ballet here, don't you? So, you're like, this guy's out. Next. But, but here's the thing. I, I wanted to, to share that, to share this context, that when we moved to, to Roseburg, we made uh, some friends right away who happened to have come uh, with us today. And, uh, you know, they have, they have a son and uh, they're oldest, and he loves football and wrestling and, and those sports. And I can come, and I can be like, yeah, you did so great. Here's what you did wrong. I was really excited to watch him play football, to watch him wrestle. And uh, they also have, you know, two daughters. And those daughters, they did not, you know, one of them does wrestle, but one of, you know, like they're like into pageants and the ballet. And so uh, kind of like that first winter, they're like, hey, do you want to come to like our, our daughter's ballet thing, the Nutcracker? And everything in my head was like, no. <laughs> no, I do not. I do not want to go see little kids uh, dancing the nut. I didn't know what the Nutcracker was. Uh, I knew that my aunt owned a lot of the wooden ones in her house, but I didn't know there was a ballet or anything like that. And uh, so, you know, the dad, he was like, you know, hey, I'll bring Sour Patch Kids. I was like, okay, I'll be there, you know. <laughs> we can eat some Sour Patch Kids. But, you know, I, I came and, uh, you know, and I sat there and, and, and I, I'm like, okay, I, I must have missed something my whole life, right? Because there's so many, I mean, this huge auditorium, 3,000 people or whatever are there, and, and everyone's here to see these kids dance in this ballet. And I'm like, okay, cool. I'm going to watch it. And I'm watching it. I'm like, I still don't get it. I don't, I don't get it. You know, I'll support my friends and their kids. But there's this, this thing that you do when you love people that you can support them and be a part of things even if you don't get it, right? When, when my wife and I first got married, uh, I played a lot of sports uh, before we had kids. You know, you have kids and then you're like, your sport is, you know, chase the goldfish crackers. Uh, you know, so I was playing softball and my wife hates softball. You know, I'm playing slow pitch, old man softball, and she's coming to every game, you know, and eventually she's just like, I hate this, you know, but it was like, it was so sweet. I'm like, I could look out and I was watching her as she's watching me play. She's just bored out of her mind, you know, so, 
But that's what we do for the people that we love. You see, when we love others, we humble ourselves and put their needs above our own. Now, anybody who's a parent, you get this. Your entire life changes when you have a kid, right? I used to play video games. Did you know that? I did. I still own a video game console. I actually turned it on a couple weeks ago because uh, the wife and the kids were out of town. And so I turned it on and it had eight and a half hours of updates. So I'm like, well, that's, guess I'm not playing that. So I used to have a life. I used to, I used to go fishing every weekend. I used to play a ton of disc golf. And now, like, all of my priorities are like, man, I want to make sure that these kids have the best life. I want to make sure that they have the best dad. I want to make sure that all of their needs are met, that they are full of love and that they grew up loving church and loving Jesus. And that means that I had to give up a lot of the things that I love doing at least for a time. See, when we honor Christ with our relationships, we put other people first. And it extends beyond our family. So I wanted to read today out of Philippians chapter 2. So if you had your Bibles, we can go ahead and open there. If you didn't know, uh, Philippians is in the New Testament. It was a letter that Paul wrote. We have Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, or as I like to remember, the General Electric Power Company. So giant, giant elephants play catch? Okay, okay. Yeah, have you ever seen giant elephants playing catch? Uh, in the, it used to happen, but not anymore, yeah. The elephants in Grant's Pass are long gone, okay. All right, so we're going to read together in uh, Philippians chapter 2, starting in verse 1. We're going to go all the way through verse 11. It's a big group of scriptures, but, uh, you know, we'll, t- we'll just take the next three hours. That's what Oli said that I had, so talking about this passage. This is what it says. So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort From love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus who though he was in the form God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, the glory of God, the Father. Amen. What a wonderful, wonderful passage. I love how it starts. He said, if there's any encouragement. Do you, guys, do you guys ever get those thoughts in your head where, you know, you're thinking about someone and like, man, I, I really love them. I really appreciate them. You know, sometimes when Catherine and I, my wife, we're, we're debriefing at the end of the day, right? The kids are finally asleep, and, and we have those 35 seconds before we pass out. And, you know, it's like, hey, like, let's talk about today. What, what happened today? And she'll share something with me, and immediately, like, I think we both have this idea. It's like, man, we should make sure we tell that person how grateful we are for them. I feel like we, we live in a society sometimes where we don't say good things. Sometimes we just only say the bad things. And if anyone is on social media, cool. And uh, so, 
It, it doesn't seem like there's a whole lot of, of encouragement. You don't see a whole lot of people getting on there and being like, man, I, I really appreciate what you said to me at the grocery store today. Hey, when you prayed for my mom, that, I mean, that, that just that made my heart melt. And I'm so grateful to have you in my life and as a friend. My wife is really good at this. She writes cards. She you know, sends them to people. And that's why she's had best friends for like 25 years is because she's really good at following the prompting of the Holy Spirit to reach out in encouragement and reach out in love. But it takes time and energy to do those things. Listen, there's this thing where, I don't know if you knew this, um, in the Bible, the reason why Paul writes it down, the author of this, this letter, is because these aren't things that come naturally, right? I don't have to tell my kids to misbehave. Hey, kids, we're going to go out to eat, and I want you to just run around like chickens with your head cut off, okay? And they're like, great, Dad, we got it. You know, I don't have to tell them to do that because those are things that come naturally to them. So when Paul is encouraging the church of Philippi, he's saying, hey, listen, I know this doesn't come naturally to you. And so I'm asking you to learn to practice to do this. And it's really easy to start. You know, you just start to, to take a note on your phone. Hey, write this person a letter. Hey, even just a simple text can really change someone's day. I don't know, for those of you who are, or maybe have kids that are, that are a little older now, how, much, how, how meaningful is a five-minute conversation? Right? Maybe even once a week, twice a week, how meaningful is that five-minute conversation? And yet sometimes when my mom calls, I'm like, man, I'm really busy, mom. But then I'm reminded, she's not going to be here forever. And I'm going to miss taking those phone calls. Any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy. Man, I have a hard time with, with, with sympathy. Sometimes, like, people come up to me and like, oh, man, my, my cat is really sick. Can you pray for Mr. Freckles or whatever? I'm like, no. It's like, cats, I don't know if you knew this, but every cat is actually a spawn of Satan. And... <laughs> It's true. It's, I read it somewhere. It's in the book of Second Opinions, okay? See? I will say that we have two cats, okay? And there's, one of our cats is very affectionate with me. Like, every time I lay it, she will sit on my chest and kiss me. Like, and I, so, like, I talk a big game about not liking cats, but it's the other one, the one that pukes and can't figure out how to use a litter box, right? That's the one that I'm like, okay, clearly you don't belong in my house. Uh, but, like, there's this, this thing sometimes where you know, people will come up to you and ask you for prayers for things, or, or they'll just they'll talk with you about a rough situation in your life, and you're just like, listen, um, this is not a big deal, right? But you can't say that, you know, when someone's like bearing their soul out to you and like, oh, this is the roughest thing I've ever been through, and it's, you know, it's kind of hard because like, you know, especially if you have like teenage kids, they'll do this all the time. Oh, my life is so hard. I had to two tests today. I had to wake up at 7.30, I have no life or friends. And you're like, oh, yeah, this sounds really tough. Thank you. I'm so sorry you're going through that. But being sympathetic is where you listen to someone and, and, and you just you don't put yourself into their situation. Really, you just listen to how hard it is for them and you sympathize with them. And you go, man, that sounds really tough. And that's something that is really encouraging to the body of Christ. Uh, he goes on, he says, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. How much do we do from selfish ambition or conceit? Yeah, if we're honest, most, most everything, right? Uh, I don't know how many times that I've been going through the line at uh, Dutch Brothers. Ooh, Dutch Brothers. And, uh, and I'll be like, you know, 
uh, I'm really excited to get this thing, and I'm on my way home, and I'm like, well, I can't, I'm on my way home from work, I can't come home from work with a Dutch Brothers <laughs> just for me, right? It's like, I know my wife's order, you know, and so it's like, oh, man, but then I'm like, man, that's like six extra dollars, you know, so then it's like, <laughs> so then it's like, what would be better if I'm worried about the money would be like, well, maybe I should forego my order and just get one for her instead, so. But a couple weeks ago, I had a free one, so we both got one, but there you go. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. There is nothing more countercultural than this one statement in the entire Bible. Do you understand that? Do nothing from selfish ambition, but instead count other people more significant than yourselves. That is, that is literally the entire opposite of Instagram. That's like flipping that upside down, right? What if the entire reason that we posted on social media was not to glorify ourselves, but to glorify others? What if when we think about, hey, we're going to go on vacation, I wonder who would want to come with us, right? And half of you are like, all right, I'm out. See you. Yeah, no, not going to do that. Uh, we actually went on our honeymoon with my parents, so Yeah. That's how much I love my wife. Yeah. <laughs> no, it was funny. It was cool. Uh, but this is the reality is that I, I, I am often concerned with any statement that begins with I want. Because usually in my life, I want is followed by something I don't need. And what I really want in my life is to begin to exchange all of the I wants for asking the question, what do others want? It's really hard during, during Christmas time because we have been taught, you know, hey, you create your Amazon wish list, right? You have these gifts. And I, I, remember, I remember when I was, when I was in high school, I really wanted this weight set, right? Because I was a high school boy and I really wanted girls to notice me. And I thought if I could lift big weights, because that's what women want, like a, someone that lifts big weights, yeah. It's like, it's like, you know, is kind and sympathetic and then lifts big weights. It's like number two. That's what they want. But that's what I had in my head, right? If I could lift big weights, then maybe like girls would notice me. And so I asked my parents for, for this weight set and I knew it was really expensive. My parents didn't make a lot of money. Um, you know, so we go through the whole like gift giving and I got like one present. And my brothers were just like opening up thousands. I swear there was just a mountain of presents for my two brothers. And I just had this one present, and in my heart, I was so bitter and angry. And I was trying to be kind. I was trying to be sympathetic, but really deep within me, I'm like, man, this isn't fair. They got all these gifts, and I just got this, this one. And I was already angry. I was already bitter. I was already in a bad mood when my dad took me out to the back porch, and he showed me my weight set. And it was like, at that moment, I was probably 15 years old, I realized I'm a jerk. My parents sacrificed for this. And I guarantee that that cost more than all the presents that my brothers got. And yet in my heart, I was already so bitter and angry because it wasn't fair. And the big question is, what did I deserve that Christmas day? Nothing. 
right? I mean, like, parents are always going to get their kids stuff, but what did I deserve for Christmas? Yeah, I mean, nothing special, right? It's just, you know, like uh, kindness, affection, you know, joy, love, and mercy. Those are the things that I needed, but my parents were willing to sacrifice for me, and all I was willing to do is think about myself. And, I, and at that time, I, I really remember, I was like, I will never feel this way again. Ooh, an ESPN update. All right, let's go. <laughs> Woo! I will never feel that way again. Right? If I buy my wife 100 gifts for Christmas and she buys me one, I will rejoice in the one that she got me. Which, like, these new shoes, Christmas present for my wife. So, thank you. Thank you. I don't buy shoes for myself, so. And I dress better when she dresses me. <laughs> Bob Wood dressed me this morning, actually. <laughs> and I am not a Ducks fan, so sorry for anybody that is. Uh, so this O, like the, there needs to be like an S and a U next to it, I think, so. And it needs to be maybe a, <laughs> you know, black and orange color, so. Uh, that's right, Oklahoma State. That's right. No. Uh, you know, and it's, and it's one of those things where, you know, I, I can wear this because I love Bob and I want to support uh, OCEF, uh, even if I, like, want to cover up just that, oh, maybe just like the CEF. That's right. Just move that over. So Bob's going to watch this later, and then I'm going to be fired. Uh, thank you. And... There's so many parts in this passage that, you know, he, he gives us the, the first part to say, hey, this is, this, is, this is what I want from you. I want you to, to maybe, um, you know, stop caring so much about making sure that you have all your ducks in a row and, and uh, caring about other people and making sure that they have the things that they need, uh, putting their needs above your own sometimes. And he, then he reminds the church in Philippi, and he reminds us today, this is what Jesus did. And I remember the first time I read this passage was in Bible college because I wasn't a good teenager. The first time I read this passage was in Bible college, and it was just like one of those moments where I just realized how, just how the, the gravity really of what Jesus did. It says, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. That even though being the very nature, by very nature God, he did not consider equality with God a thing to be grasped, but poured himself out, taking on the likeness of men, humbling himself to the point of death, even death on a cross. And, and he's really painting this picture. There's, there's Jesus, the king of the universe. He's sitting in heaven. He's being worshiped by angels. The, they're bowing down at his feet every hour of every day, saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And he goes, I'm going to come to earth to be a baby. So he goes from Lord of the universe to baby in a poor family. I mean, that alone in of itself is the most humbling thing that has ever happened in the history of the universe. God of the universe, holy, 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 the Lord God Almighty, the most powerful beings that we know, angels, are worshiping Jesus Christ all day long. 
And he gives up his seat on the throne to become a baby. Which is why we celebrate Christmas, because of that humble act of of our Lord Jesus. Not only that, but he knew the path that he was going to take. From the moment that that he was old enough, really, to, to recognize who he was and where he was going... He was making a beeline for the cross. And if I was going to have to do something that was going to be really horrific, and I was king of the universe, and I could put myself anywhere and do anything like Jesus could, I probably would have spent the first 33 years in, like, Hawaii, maybe. It's like, it's this, this, I'm going to have a pretty rough week, right? And so to prepare for that, you know, I'm going to, like, go, and I'm going to sip some, you know, mimosas on the beach and have a good time, kick my feet up. But instead... He picked 12 of some of the most foolish men that we have in recorded history and tried to teach them to be his followers, his disciples. And when you read the New Testament, you read when Jesus is walking with these disciples in the Gospels, and some of the things that they say, I don't know how he didn't slap them, right? He's trying to do these these miracles in this place, and they have no faith, and so the miracles, it's just not happening because people just don't care. And so they're leaving, and John, one of his disciples, says, you know what we should do? We should pray that you should rain down fire and brimstone from heaven, just like in the Old Testament. You did it before. Let's do it again. They don't deserve to live. And instead of like reprimanding him and, like I said, slapping him upside the head, he just takes the time to remind him. And nobody's perfect. Jesus was dying for those people that, that didn't love him as much as he's dying for those who will. You want to talk about a life that didn't have his own interests in mind. There's this time where, where Jesus and his, and his uh, disciples, they were, they were teaching and, and he was exhausted. And then uh, one of his, uh, uh, the disciples of John the Baptist comes to him, which John the Baptist was Jesus's cousin. And he comes to him and says, hey, um, John's dead. And so Jesus, he was, it says he was overcome with grief and sorrow, and he tries to go to be by himself. But the crowds of people, they wanted to be healed and they wanted to be taught. So Jesus tries even harder to get away, and he goes to the boat, and he's just trying just to get away so that he can be alone and grieve. And anyone who's ever lost someone that they deeply and truly loved understands that. You just need some time. You just need some time to think about it, to pray about it, really to, to, to think about the way that you're feeling, to process. But it says in that moment that Jesus, even though he was trying to get away to grieve, he looked upon the crowd, and had compassion on them. And it said that he healed all the sick people. And then he went away to be by himself. I, I really struggle with this because, you know, we, we live, it, it's a really big house. I grew up in like an 1,100-square-foot house. We have a 2,000-square-foot house, which is such a huge blessing uh, with our two little monsters, and, you know, but they're, I think they make the house feel like about 400 square feet, right, because they're just running and screaming, and there's just some times when I just, I just want to go. I just want to sit in the room, and like our bedroom, and I just want to close the door, right, and I just want to put on some music, you know. I don't fit in a bathtub, or else I would probably get in one of those, <laughs> but I just, I just, man, I just, I just need a minute. Any parents out there? Man, I just, 
<laughs> right? Anybody have a workplace where you're like, some, you're like, I just, I need a minute, you know. And then my kid will come up and be like, I want juice. And you're like, well, how do we ask for juice, right? You know, and it's, it's one of those things where it's like, okay, I, I really have two options in my life. I can be the parent that gets my kid juice, or I can be the parent that calls for my wife and gets them juice. <laughs> I know which one's easier. I know which one comes naturally to me. But when I think about the selflessness of Jesus, getting off our very comfortable couch to go up and get some juice, man, that's not that hard. Until you come back and they go, I want warm juice. You're like, well, you can live in another person's house then. So, <laughs> there's, there's just this mind-blowing application to our lives when, when he says, hey, we need to be humble. We need to put other people's needs first. And then he's like, I know it's hard, but remember Jesus? And, and it's kind of like, you know, when, when your parent is comparing you to, like, your good sibling. Anyone have a good sibling, you know? Like, could you imagine being one of Jesus' brothers? Right? Could you imagine that, that concept where, you know, they're, they're sitting at the dinner table and they're eating food. And, you know, Jesus is, I'm sure, just, like, perfectly just, like, eating. He's like, thank you, mother. I love you. appreciate you. You're the best. And his brothers are just, like, scarfing down the food as fast as they can. He's making a huge mess. And, and then they get done, and Jesus is, like, you know, he's, he's doing the dishes. And, and his mom doesn't even have to ask him to do the chores. And I'm sure his brothers hated him. They hated him, right? Because, I mean, I, I, mean, I was the good brother. Not to brag, but I didn't have, I didn't have much competition. So, uh, you know, but my mom still, every time we got done, it's like, you know, Brian, can you help do the dishes? And I was like, oh, fine. Like, geez, you know, oh, fine, I'll do the dishes. But like, there's this, this understanding that uh, when, when we compare ourselves with, with, with Jesus, we're so far away. But there's a really important part of this passage that sometimes that I think that we miss. And it's before he starts to talk about all the things that Jesus did. He says, have this mind among yourselves, which is Yours in Christ Jesus. Are we trying to obtain this mind? Are, do we have to do something to change our mind so that we might have the mind of Jesus? No. It's already ours. We already have the mind of Jesus because we have the Holy Spirit within us. Have this mind amongst yourselves which is yours in Christ Jesus. Because the reality is we don't have to learn to have Jesus' mind. We have to unlearn to have our own selfish mind. Does that make sense? Really, we don't have to learn to be more like Jesus in our own minds. We just have to learn to get rid of all the stuff that we've put in the way. And some of the stuff seems, seems like it's good things, right? There are good things. Man, I need to go to work and I need to, you know, do these things and I need to make sure that my family is taken care of. But we can't stop with that first circle. I love that, that Jesus, he said, you know, I, I have other sheep that are not of this fold. There's so many passages that are going through my mind right now that are talking about Jesus just encouraging us to expand our sphere of influence. 
even when Jesus is getting ready to go, he says, you know, I, I have to go. I have to go back to heaven so that the Holy Spirit can come and be with you all the time. He said, I can only be with you in this one place. But if I go, the Holy Spirit can reach the whole world and be with each person all the time. And that's the goal. The goal is that each and every person on planet earth would, be, would have the indwelling of the Holy Spirit in them because they know and follow Jesus. Well, the big question is, how on earth is the whole world going to know Jesus? What was Jesus' plan? Is He going to send angels down to come and tell everyone about Him? Well, what was His, what was his plan? Yeah. Is it just the pastors? Just the elders? Oh, it's everybody. The reality is the reason that we don't tell more people about Jesus is because it's, it's hard sometimes. You lose friends. I lost a job once because I prayed with an old lady delivering pizza. When we follow Jesus closely, the world, parts of it, will hate us. When we tell other people about Jesus, there's going to be people that will turn away from us and not be our friends anymore. There's going to be family members who might say, hey, you know, uh, I really want you to come to Thanksgiving, but can you just like not talk about Jesus this year? It takes an insane amount of humility to tell people about Jesus. Because you have to not care about the things of this world. You have to put the interests of others first. There are people who are dying and are going to hell every day because sometimes we forget. We forget who Jesus is. We forget what Jesus has done for us. We get focused. I get really focused. I'm, I'm doing construction work right now. It's like, man, I know I need to talk to this person about Jesus, but I really want to finish this task first, and then it's another task, and then it's another task, and then it's another task. Man, I, I, know, I know the Holy Spirit has prompted me to tell this person about my faith and how much Jesus means to me and how much He's changed my life, but I really just want to go to Walmart and, you know, get something to drink right now. And I'm not standing up here as a person that has this figured out all the time. Just recently, I, I went to, to California to uh, help my friend I went to Bible college with remodel parts of his house, and there was this distinct moment where I was helping this guy uh, unload his truck. I was just walking by, and I could see that he was having a really hard time with these four-by-eight sheets of plywood, and so I was like, I'll help this guy, um, you know, and I felt the Holy Spirit being like, tell him about me. Just tell him. Just say, just say something about me. And I was like, have a nice day. And it's still, that was like four months ago. It still haunts me. And I don't, want, I don't want that to happen ever again in my life where I have the opportunity to tell someone about Jesus and don't take it. Let each one of you not only look at the interests of yourselves, but the interests of others. To take that to the fullest extent is to tell people about Jesus all the time. Because in reality, when we love people like just, if we just followed this one passage, 
if we just took these 11 verses and we put them to play in our lives each and every day, our communities would change so drastically. People would come to Jesus and come to church in ways that you have never believed or seen before. The dynamics of all the relationships in your life would change so insanely, drastically, that you wouldn't believe it. Just imagine, for those of you who are married uh, or know anyone who's married, imagine a relationship where someone gets upset and starts to talk to the other person, and instead of going back and forth, they just stop and they go, hey, listen, I'm really, I'm really sorry. You're right, I, I messed up. As a guy, I have no idea what I did, but listen, I'm really sorry. <laughs> and just we begin to ask the question, what do you need? What's going on in your life? Imagine how much different all of our relationships would be when someone makes a nasty post or comment on our Facebook page. Instead of responding, we reach out to them. We send them a text or we send them a message and be like, hey, uh, I saw that you posted this thing. Uh, I just want you to know I, I care about you, and if you want to have a conversation about that, let, let's do that. How many, times, how many times have you done that? How many times have I done that? How many times has anyone done that? Imagine how much different of a world of our place would be if every time we had a conflict with someone else, instead of increasing that conflict, we were peacemakers. If every time someone had, had beef with us, had, had a problem with us, instead of trying to defend ourselves or defend someone else, really to, to just to allow them to talk at us most of the time, to listen and to empathize and even to apologize. Because there's, there's only one goal in life, which is to be a disciple of Jesus. And what we see in Jesus' life, when we look at His, which is what Philippians 2 is encouraging us to do, we realize the only thing that's really important is eternity. I know, I know our, our little battles, they feel like they're so important. This thing that, that you want so dearly that your spouse doesn't want. My family, like the, the big conflict going on in my parents' house is, is a dog, right? My mom really wants a new dog. My dad doesn't want a new dog. And there's this constant conflict. Well, what if, what if each one of them, instead of caring about the thing that they, they really want, they began to humbly ask the other person, hey, what do you want and why? Let's talk about it. What if we, you know, God forbid, what if we allowed people to change our opinions and our minds of things rather than trying to tell people our opinions all the time and get our opinions crossed? What if we didn't care about politics? What if there wasn't this battle between the left and the, and the right? What if we were so focused on the kingdom of God, being humble to Jesus, being humble to the Holy Spirit within us, that we cared so much about whether or not they knew Jesus, not whether they voted for Trump or not? And that is what this passage, that is what this passage is encouraging us to do. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours. It's already yours in Christ Jesus to be selfless, to be loving, to be full of compassion, to care about the needs of others and not the needs of ourselves. When we allow the Holy Spirit to take more and more control of our thoughts, 
everything and our life will change. Humility changes everything. We think often, you know, there's this phrase that goes around a lot being, you know, be the smartest person in the room or whatever. Um, Jesus was always the smartest person in the room and the most powerful. And he was going to have the longest, you know, reign. He's going to reign for all eternity. And yet, he didn't go to Hawaii during his last week to prepare for the cross. He didn't spend 33 years resting and said the night before he was betrayed, he knelt down and he washed his disciples' feet. How many of you all think that Jesus wanted to do that? Have you ever washed someone's feet? They're disgusting. And they didn't have socks or shoes. You know, they're walking around in sandals all day. Gross. The Lord of the universe came down from heaven on his throne to wash 12 men's feet. One of those 12 would betray him. Let each one of you not look at the interests of yourselves, but also the interests of others. Man, I'm, I'm telling you, and it's hard to believe, but if, if Redwood Christian Church of Christ, if we, can, if we can just make that shift in our lives, the, the humbleness, the humility that comes with meeting the needs of others, before we meet the needs of ourselves. People would come to church and come to Jesus like you have never seen. And I've seen it in my life. I've seen the impact it makes. And I know it's true. I've seen it in America. I've seen it in India. I've seen it in Africa, Cambodia. The people that are fully invested in Jesus and have the humility to listen to others, to love others, to put their needs first, they changed the world. There's this, this small church in Camas Valley, Oregon. Anybody ever been to Camas Valley? Sorry. Yeah, uh, so, and I'm, I'm telling you, like, I, I was told, hey, man, there's this church, and they're changing the world. I'm like, yeah, I mean, they're, they're in Camas Valley, so how much work are they doing? They're literally, like, sending out pastors and teachers and elders all over the world to train pastors. And they were, they were recently asked at a missionary conference, you know, to try to calculate the impact that they've had in the past five years. And my, my friend is on the board, and he was trying to, like, do all the math, and he spent two months just really trying to figure out the impact. So he's reaching out to all these churches and pastors that they've trained and taught, and they realized that this church of what used to be 75, which is now 250 people, but this church of 250 people, uh, they, the low estimate is that 10.5 million people over the world have come to know Christ because of their influence. The high estimate was 100 million. And what they do, I mean, like, I, got, I was blessed to go on, on one of their trips to India to train pastors, and it's, cra- it's not that hard. <laughs> Like, it's not. I mean, you, you, just, you just sit there and, and you just say, hey, this is what the Bible says and this is who we're supposed to be. And, I mean, I have a million stories, but I'm just going to tell one. Uh, so we were, we were, we were I, was, I was teaching them through uh, the, the New Testament and I was talking about how, um, you know, the, this, 
one of the disciples in the New Testament, he had four daughters, and it says that all four of those daughters, um, uh, they were prophets, they're prophetesses. All four of these daughters were gifted with the Holy Spirit. And one of the guys raises his hand, and he was like, his daughters? Yeah, and I'm going through an interpreter. And he was like, so women have souls? And it was like, yeah, yeah, women, yeah, women, yeah, women have souls. And then I showed him this other passage that says that men and, and women were equal in Christ. It says we're all one in Christ. And, I, and I'm not joking. I, I didn't do anything, all right? I was just reading the Bible and sharing the Bible with them. And, and they got down on their knees, all 20 of these men, and they were weeping. And one of the men stood up, and, and some of these people lived in villages that were 10 miles away that they had run or walked uh, to and from, and they said, we need to go apologize to our wives. We had no idea. We were trading them like cattle. We had no idea that they were real people. We had no idea that they had souls, that, Bi that the Bible says that they're actual, like, full-fledged people, that they could be filled with the Holy Spirit, that they could do things too. We had no idea. And I have a hundred stories I could tell you just about that, where when you share the gospel of Jesus Christ, if you, and I had, I had no idea. Sometimes we think, especially here in America, sometimes we think that everyone's heard the gospel. But it's estimated that 60% of the people that live in, uh, you know, Oregon and Washington and even uh, the northern parts of California, 60% of them have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ. Two-thirds, two-thirds of the people do not even know the story of Jesus. And we can change that. Right, if 75 people, if 250 people can reach a million, 100 million, how many people can 70 people reach? How much impact can we make on the, the whole world and on our community now? And I'm really passionate about this because sometimes we just lose sight of the things that are most important. It's what we're constantly trying to do with our kids when we're raising them. Hey, this thing that you think is so important, it, it's not. This is what's so important. It's what we do at work all day. People get distracted. Hey, we think this thing is so important. We have to help to change their minds. It's not. It's not important. This is what is important. And I know it's easy for us to lose track. Right? We, want, we want our buildings to be warm and comfortable. We want our seats to be nice. We want the right words to be up on the screen. We want the, we want the praise band to sing the newest, coolest worship songs. We want the building outside to be pristine. But the reality is, is that, that Jesus never asked us to do any of that. What he asked us to do was make disciples. And again, I'm not up here harping on anybody because it's just as easy for me to lose sight of what's important. I want you to know that even though I, I'm just meeting most of you for the first time, that, that I love you, that I care about you, and I think most importantly that I believe in you. You guys, each, each one of you has significant impact in somebody's life. And my prayer, my deepest prayer is that we would continue to grow that, that influence, that people who don't know Jesus would come to know him because of your personal impact in their life. Humility changes everything. Let's pray together. 
Father, we are blessed to be in your house today. We are blessed to be amongst friends and family. Uh, you know, but my heart reaches out to all the people who don't yet know you. God, you are doing a mighty work in us. You are doing a mighty work in this community and in the world. God, let's just ride that wave. Just help us to, to get on board with whatever you're doing. So we just praise you for all the many blessings you've showered upon us. And just help us to learn and to love you more each and every day. And Father, we just ask all these things in your son Jesus' name. Amen.